love that uh, chorus, indescribable. We haven't sung it for a long time, but it says that uh, he, he knows the depth of our hearts, but he loves us the same. That's a very powerful line that, that touches me every time I sing that. And, and the rest of the song is quite powerful as well. It's, it's about the awesomeness of God. The past two years or so, God has been, uh, I believe it's God who's, who's leading me to uh, just appreciate his awesomeness. He's, he's an awesome God. And we sing that song indescribable. We see all the things that are just mind-blowing. Who ever told every lightning bolt where it should go? Who calls the stars out by name? And, um, oh yeah, it's powerful. So uh, let me not go into one right now. I need my glasses. So the reading today is Romans chapter. Can you hear me at the back if I don't use this? Oh, yeah, you need to record. I'm going to say yes. Okay. I'll bear with it. Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 1 down to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I, no long, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why... I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith.
for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. If there ever was a statement of confidence in something, this was it. The word confidence has a couple of meanings, as we know. In the context of this morning's topic, the word confidence is the quality of being certain of something. The quality of being certain of something. And today's passage from Romans 1 is so powerful in terms of confidence that it was the basis for the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg in 1517. So, 502 years ago. And the rest is history. So I would like to share with you two basic ingredients. Two basic ingredients we need in order to have confidence in the gospel. But before I do that, I want to set the scene from a story in the Gospel of John in chapter 21. In fact, that was the reading that we had in the first service, the gospel reading was John chapter 21, the last chapter in the Gospel of John from verses 1 to 19. The scene is that of a group of people who had no vision, no direction, and therefore no confidence in the good news. The group of people were the remaining 11 disciples of Jesus following the Holy Week. When Jesus was crucified, it looked like injustice has prevailed. Mission apparently failed, all hope gone. Then three days later, Jesus is seen alive. Hallelujah. Elation. Jubilation. Yes. Delight. Joy and hope restored. However, however, now there is a significant difference, a significant change. Have you noticed that Jesus is not always with the disciples as he used to be during his ministry? He keeps appearing and disappearing. Where did he go? Why this change? Now, it is a fair question, and it's, it's an interesting one, too. So I'm not going to give you the answer right now. I'm going to keep it till the end of the, the talk. I'm going to keep you hanging about this question, okay? But we are going to look, go back to these two ingredients. So we see the disciples in a strange situation. The Lord that they left everything, including their various occupations, uh, to follow is alive, but they can't be with him as they used to. They are in a strange state of confusion, not confidence. Now what? Remember this scene? They're all free now, you know, from the dentist. They are in all their bags, just bobbing up and down in the water, you know, thinking they've made it. And the big one on the left, you know, kind of puffs up when he's excited, that guy. He says, now what? And the disciples were in a similar kind of situation. And Peter always is the guy who comes up with an idea, isn't it? And he, he had an idea. 
it was just a common sense, really, and uh, the most non-creative idea, as a matter of fact. And he decided, he decides to start from where he left off when Jesus called him to follow him. What was he doing? He was catching fish. So he said, I'm going fishing. Anyone coming? And most of his friends were fishermen as well who left their nets and boats to follow Jesus. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll come. And all night they worked hard with no results. And in the morning, a stranger is shouting from the shore. Now I'm assuming you know the story in John chapter 21. Okay, if you don't know, please read it up. Um, and there's a man shouting from the shore and he's saying, friends, haven't you any fish? The question is in the negative form. Haven't you any fish? As opposed to have you any fish? So that tells me that the guy knew that these, guy have, these guys haven't got any fish in their boats. And I also sense, if I use my creativity, I sense a slight tone of satire in the voice of this stranger when they ask, haven't you any fish? You big fisherman. <laughs> Worked hard all night. So there is a hint of mockery in this guy's voice. He then tells this hardened fisherman how to successfully catch fish. He says, put the net on the, the other side, on the right side, the correct side. And it is as if this, you know, this stranger is teaching these professional fishermen how to do their own trade. And there's a saying in English, I think, for this, it's about, uh, you know, teaching your grandmother to suck eggs. And that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. And then they, dis they, discovered, they discovered or they recognized that it was Jesus. And to add insult to injury, when they come to the shore, Jesus has already got a, fish, a few fish cooked for them for breakfast. How did he catch them? So we remember, so that's the scene here, I'm, I want to say it before I come to the confidence in the gospel. Remember we, uh, when Jesus called his disciples um, to follow him, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We used to sing a song in Sunday school about that, I will make you fishers of men. Have you sung that one? What? Fishers of men. Who? Fishers of men. Anyway, if you follow me. And that's what he said. But the disciples have now gone back to status quo. To be fishers of fish rather than to be fishers of men. Because fishing fish is what they are comfortable with. Something they've, they've always done something they were capable of doing with or without Jesus being with them. Several weeks ago, Johnny said something that has struck with me. He defined the word insanity as uh, insanity is when we do the same things but expect different results. Now I want to add a, a definition of my own for the word apathy. Apathy is doing the same things in order not to have different results. Apathy is doing the same things in order not to have different results. 
Now, in disciples' case, were they insane or were they apathetic? I think they were not insane. I think they were just apathetic when they decided to go back fishing. Although they knew Jesus uh, was alive, they knew Jesus, they were, have been with him. They found themselves with no direction, no leadership, no vision. This is where Jesus meets them. When the disciples were in this place of discouragement, confusion, and without leadership or vision. Paul, who wrote Romans chapter 1, and he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The, the Paul that showed so much confidence in the message that was given to him also had a similar experience with Christ. He met Christ in a different set of circumstances, but nonetheless, he also had a powerful encounter with Christ that gave him confidence in the gospel. So how about us? I think sometimes we live like the disciples did during this specific interval between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, this period of 40 days where he was appearing and disappearing. We have known about the Lord, and we know that he's alive somewhere. But we live as, as if he's not with us. We go back to doing the same things we have always done the way we have always done it, and with the same result. Struggling all night, but no fish. Status quo is what we live for and perhaps fight and die to protect. Is Jesus challenging the status quo for us? Is he giving us leadership and vision to throw the net on the correct side? I believe the answer is yes to these questions. So what should our response be? Here are two basic ingredients we need in order to have confidence in the gospel. Ephesians 4:14 and 15 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Jesus. Truth and love are two ingredients that give us confidence in the gospel. So let's look at truth first. Truth is not relative. It is not your truth or my truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus made very many claims of exclusivity. If we are not convinced that Jesus is the only way, we are casting our nets on the wrong side of the boat where we catch Nothing. So after breakfast, Jesus specifically turns to Peter to ask the question, do you love me? Peter was the, Peter was the one, remember, who confessed the exclusivity of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, 
the savior of the world, the savior that Israel has been, that Israel has been waiting for over centuries. A pretty bold thing to declare by Peter. So Jesus is asking Peter if he loves the one he believes to be the only way to God. So in other words, Jesus is asking Peter if he loves the exclusive Jesus. The exclusive Jesus. What is your truth? Does your truth coincide with the truth? Or are we tossed about by the safe and popular belief that all roads lead to Rome? Is Jesus just one of many ways to God? Peter did not believe that. And Jesus certainly did not. Peter knew the truth through revelation. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, 17, the Holy Spirit of God revealed the truth to Peter. The Holy Spirit revealed the truth to Peter. And that is the moment when one is born again. No other ritual or religious ceremony could cause us to be born again but the revelation of this one truth that Jesus is the only way to God. The only way to eternal life. The only solution to all human sin. So the first ingredient we need in order to have confidence in the gospel is to know and believe Jesus is the only necessary and sufficient savior for all humanity. So let's move on to the second ingredient. But now, why are some of us reluctant to acknowledge the first ingredient? I believe when it boils down to it, I think it is fear. Fear of being thought of as a narrow-minded or a dogmatic person. Was Jesus narrow-minded when he claimed to be the only way to God? Was Peter narrow-minded when he acknowledged that he is the Messiah? Of course not. Therefore, if Jesus believed his exclusivity and yet remained a loving person, we too could reflect some of the same. What is the antidote for this fear? 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love drives out fear. We come back to that point of love. Jesus said to Peter to nurture his lambs and his sheep in John chapter 21. Nurturing is what you do if you love someone. And in John chapter 17, Jesus identifies who his lambs and his sheep are when he prays for them in the garden before his death. We have his lambs and his sheep within this building. Look at your neighbor. But there are also Jesus' lambs and, and, lambs and sheep outside this building who should be here but will be here in the future. We are to love them by nurturing them as well as those within these walls. 
So Ephesians, going back to Ephesians 4.15, about speaking the truth in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 says, Love rejoices with the truth. Love and truth are like a happily married couple, inseparable, supporting one another, rejoicing in each other. When you see one, the other is not too far off. The two ingredients that give us confidence in the gospel, therefore, are truth and love. Truth communicated with love and love propelled by truth. I saw a little um, Hannah going near the electrics there and Claire removing her very quickly from there. The truth is that is deadly. Love is when you do something about it. If we know the truth and we keep it to ourselves because we are fearful of being thought of as dogmatic or bigots, if we don't tell the truth, there's no love in it. The label on the bottle of toxic material is there to warn you that this stuff is bad. The gospel, if the gospel is a gift, and it is, truth is the substance, and love is the wrapping. Both are important. We need to present the truth wrapped in love. So how do we get these two ingredients we need in order to have confidence in the gospel? So in closing, remember the question I left with you at the beginning. Why the resurrected Christ did not remain among the disciples as he used to be during his ministry? Was Jesus no longer able to be with them for some reason? On the contrary, now Jesus wanted to be with his disciples not only confined to one geographical place in a physical bodily form, but Jesus wanted to be with all his followers everywhere at all times. Jesus, Jesus said to Mary something quite strange. He said when Mary saw him in the garden and wanted to touch him, Jesus said, do not cling on to me. Do not try to be with me because I have not ascended to the Father yet. So what happens when Jesus ascended to the Father? John 14, 28 says that he will come back as the Holy Spirit. He is then able to bring the omnipresence, the omnipotence and the omniscience of God himself to right among us. So this is the reason why for that short period Jesus said don't try to be with me now because I need to ascend to the Father. In a few weeks time we will be celebrating Pentecost. 
the time the Holy Spirit was poured out on his church, on us, as promised through the prophet Joel. It is the Holy Spirit who comes to reside in us that gives us the confidence in the gospel. You will receive power, you will receive confidence when the Spirit of God comes on you. So let us receive the Holy Ghost power to speak truth in love and have confidence in this great gospel that we have been entrusted to. Because it is indeed the power of God that brings salvation to all men. Let's pray. Father God, through whom all things come, we commit ourselves to you. And we pray that we will receive that confidence to proclaim this gospel in our lives, through our lives, in our conversations, and in our day-to-day lives, so that we may know the truth and love that go together to give us the confidence that we have the truth and we have a duty of care to share this with those around us. Send us out from this place motivated and encouraged and empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we look forward to, the, to celebrating Pentecost in a few weeks' time, Lord, we can have that same Pentecost experience even today because it happened nearly 2,000 years ago when the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh indiscriminately so that we can have the power of God to be your witnesses in our neighborhoods and further afield through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come among us now, encourage us and be with us. Amen.